you know so i went off at the tangent just there so um i think that's the that's that's the delicate balance that you had to try to achieve how to be um a great clinician right how to be productive enough that you can look after yourself and your loved ones um and 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 you know when it comes uh you know are you considering perhaps in a, in, in being a, in a lifelong relationship and with that comes responsibilities you're going to consider little ones so um we went through the progression of being graduate as a dentist sort of upskilling getting to practice ownership then getting married and then the children came On this episode, I meet with Dr. Lawrence Lau. He graduated from UCID with a BDS with honors, receiving an academic prize in prosthetic dentistry. Since graduating, Dr. Lawrence has spent extensive time on continuing education to keep his dental practice at the forefront of dental technology. This includes the use of seric technology to optimize the outcomes of his cosmetic and restorative procedures laser dentistry, guided implant surgery, and a range of orthodontic treatments. His enthusiasm in expanding his knowledge comes from understanding the fact that dentistry is a relentlessly evolving practice. And I like to break it down that he's a recent graduate from the last 20 years, having graduated from UCID back in 1997. He owns three practices across Sydney Metro. He likes to call himself an occasional teacher, but a forever student. It's a dad, husband, son, brother, and occasional superhero. On this episode, we dive into his CP journey, starting from his first CP in orthodontics and how it shaped his understanding of occlusion and airway. We talk about his learning experience with Sarah, including trial and errors, self-teaching, and the importance of precision in preps. His journey into implant dentistry started from a fear of surgery and gradually embracing the use of digital implanting and surgical guides and the challenges of practice ownership, including, including managing staff expenses and the need for better people management skills. So I hope you enjoy. CPD Junkie Dental Podcast is about connecting with passionate Australian dentists who are improving themselves and have attended various CPD courses. My aim is to find out for you the best CPD courses around and what they did to help get them to where they are today. So you can consider doing it and becoming the best dentist you can be quicker. Hi CPD Junkie fam, I'm your host Lawrence Stone, and today we're joined by Dr. Lawrence Lau. Dr. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence Lau here taking over CPD junkies. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, we're going to dive straight into it. How did your CPD journey or dental journey kind of start? Uh, yeah, look, uh, back when I graduated 20 years ago, I think um, one of my first CPDs that I, I, I did as, at a suggestion of my then boss was an orthodontic program. Um, and it, it was, I think, what was really lacking in our undergrad study was, was an understanding of ortho. I mean, you know, we, we, we had a couple of sessions where we had a look at some patients with fixed appliances. We managed to change um, ligature wires and all that, but that, that was it. So I think... Um, my first CPD I, I embarked on was, it was nine days in a row 
and it went through development and orthopedics and then transitioned into fixed appliances and so forth. So it, it gave us a great understanding and definitely built up upon you know, what I learned as an undergrad about occlusion, um, about um, how, how, how to set teeth. Uh, and more importantly, the orthodontic program I did was it also centered along a lot along um, airway um, and, and and how to get that into uh, incorporating that into uh, our orthodontic um, work as well because it's not about straight teeth it's it's about straight teeth as well as a good functional bite in reference to the to the airway as well so that was literally my my first CPD we within within six months of of graduating and. Probably dived in a little bit too deep, I think. Um, yeah. I would have loved to have thought that I should have done that maybe within two years of, of graduating rather than within six months because a lot of it went over the head. So much so that um, I repeated it uh, a couple of years later. So, you know, and, and I think that, I think reinforced a, a lot of things. Um, and, you know, that really started on my CPD journey as well as um, showed me what was outside of what we learned as an undergrad and felt really fell in love with, with CPD actually. Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, orthodontics is the one that you kind of jump straight into. Um, mm. I mean, obviously at the time, there weren't a lot of orthodontic courses in Australia. So, I mean, how did you go about picking this particular course amongst, you know, maybe maybe some other ones? Yeah. So uh, now, you know, we, we've got a, we've, we've got an amazing multitude of, of, of different orthodontic programs that you can sign up for. Um, but back then, yeah, absolutely right. It was, it was, you know, basically this was recommended to me by by my then boss, and um, he himself did it, and he incorporated a lot of it into his practice, and he highly recommended it, and you know, basically we we did it upon that recommendation. Um, at that time, it was really the only uh, the only show in town uh, that incorporated not just fixed appliance work because um, a lot of at that time, a lot of orthodontic program that some of my colleagues did was just bending wires, you know, it was getting teeth straight, it was, you know, if you've got a, a, a crowded dentition was to extract first uh, premolars, uh, first bicuspids, put fixed appliances on and enclose the space. Whereas the course that I went to, you know, completely turned it upside down where we looked at, well, we're supposed to have these number of teeth and we, you know, we, we analyzed the, the lateral surf, we analyzed the x-rays and we discovered that actually we can develop the arches to accommodate the what nature has given us in terms of number of teeth and then fix to that. Not only is the result more longer lasting and more long-term, it was also better for the patient uh, functionally in the end um, with respect to the airway and, and, and over dentition and much less relapse as well. Right. So then you're diving straight into kind of orthodontic cases um, within the first year, which is, I guess, for a lot of our listeners, they always contemplate this. They want to, when they come out, they want to learn orthodontics or implants kind of straight away. How do I learn it at the same time? Yeah, I think it, it does come, it does, it does go back to fundamentals. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm so grateful for for that opportunity to, to do that first CPD. Again, I retained, I want to say maybe 30% of what I learned the first time around. Um, but you know, that really, I think laid the groundwork, um, nowadays, yeah, you can go to a weekend course, you know, to, to learn how to deliver clear liners and so forth. You're really just, you know, learning how to take the records, send it off to, to the lab, 
and they'll give you back some sort of simulation. You're not really understanding orthodontics. And I think that's where I think some people get um, unstuck who the first foray into orthodontics is via some sort of clear liner program where they don't really understand skeletally where, why you can't end up uh, your, with your teeth in those positions that's suggested by simulation because of uh, orthodontic development. So yeah, like I said, um, it was great foray in, in, into orthodontics and also the overall understanding of occlusion, right? Mm. Uh, so that helps also in your in your restorative work. That also helps in your cosmetic work as well because understanding phonetics, smile line, A points, things like that, all comes into back to orthodontics. Yeah. So then, I mean, you do orthodontics and it's a nine day program. Um, and then after that, I mean, obviously it doesn't stop there. Where do you go to from there next? Um, so after that, um, like I said, um, at that time, being a fresh grad, freshly minted dentist, <laughs> I probably retained, like I said, 20%. And I'm being honest here. Um, about 20% of, 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 the, of, of the knowledge because it was, it was too much. It was really too much for, for a, a new grad, I think. Um, so after that, I did, um, I think the natural progression was, I, I, I did um, EODO, Derek Mahoney's course, which I think filled in a lot of gaps in my knowledge with respect to fixed appliances. Right? So I got my fundamentals um, with, with orthopedics and development. Um, and incorporating what I learned also with, with Derek, I think really made me a lot more round, more well-rounded as a clinician that provided um, orthodontics. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. So are you saying that in, within your first year, you're kind of focusing a lot of your CP and attention towards orthodontics? Um, yeah. Yeah. Because um, first job was in a area where I did see a lot of... Um, children, kids, sort of young adults. And um, the demand was there, definitely. Um, and even treated some adult patients as well. So yeah, I really dived into orthodontics in the beginning, um, really made it part of my practice. I, I still remember my, my, my first orthodontic orthopedic case was a mandibular translation kid for a uh, case for a for 13, 14 year old using a set of twin blocks, which really, you know, fresh out of uni, I probably, thinking back, had no business doing. Otherwise, for the fact that I did this course before, which, which yeah, you know, gave me the knowledge to, to treat a case like that, and it was successful. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, is that, you know, uh, from my understanding, you got an honours in pros, uh, prosthetic, right, dentistry. Is that different? Like, is that what you pictured graduating you were going to get dive into? Um, I wouldn't say you sort of picture what you dive into basically as a new grad uh, you know, even though it's 20 years ago I still remember <laughs> you basically you you took on whatever case that came your way and then every day and to this day I still I still treat you know every day like like with this philosophy every day is a new day for me um so every case is interesting so yeah I'm, I, I I focused on orth, um orthodontics as I said, as I said. Uh, we're still doing a lot of fixed pros um I, I i liked fixed pros i liked the precision i liked the fit um i didn't like temporaries <laughs> but so on top of orthodontics i also did a lot of fixed pros um so far as fixed pros um didn't really do a lot of cpd in fixed pros to probably about my third year um do you want to know about what kind of yeah let's i mean we're there now let's get let's get into um, it so with fixed pros, what really opened my eyes in, in, during those days, and 
you've, you've got to remember um, 20 years ago, we, we all graduated. I'm not sure what the program is like now, but we were all graduating with um, amalgam principles, you know, GB black undercuts, um, dirty big, dirty big cavity to make sure you have undercuts to plug amalgams in. I made a decision right early on not to do amalgams, not because, you know, I'm holistic, not because, you know, I think they're poisonous or anything. I think, yes, truly, if we if we can, you know, do quite good work with composite resins. So that's what we did. Um, I, I did a course. I remember, uh, who was it? Ray Bertolotti. Uh, some, some of your older listeners might, might remember him. He was really the first speaker that I, 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 I um, listened to that explained bonding, that explained what we can do with adhesive dentistry, right? Um, the, the first person that explained to me uh, total edge technique, right? Back in uni, what we were taught is if you're in dentine, you're going to line that dentine, then put your composite on top, or even a sandwich technique where you you you, you will fill the bottom part of your cap, deep cavity with Fuji or some sort of GIC, and then fill the rest in um, composite resin, where the able part will eventually wash out due to acidic conditions in the mouth. So after attending Ray Bertolotti's um, sort of seminars, um, we wholly believed in a total edge technique where you fill the entirety of the cavity with composite, right? Which seems like no big deal now, but back then when we first graduated, that was completely foreign to me. I remember uh, losing sleep on the first case that I did total edge. Well, I thought for sure she's going to ring back. She's going to complain of pulpitis. It's going to be definitely root canal because how dare we etched dentine. But you know what? From that from that incident, um, nothing happened and totally, totally bought into it. Wow. I mean, yeah, to your point, like, you know, in this day and age, you would have thought, you would have thought. So, I mean, okay. So the composite journey kind of starts at that point, right? Because... You know, um, everyone else is doing amalgam, but you're doing these composites. I mean, is your boss doing it at the same time? So is he kind of like on board at the same time? Or he he was at that time, um, a, I think focusing on orthodontics. I want I want to say so. A lot of the fixed pros and 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 sort of rest, um, cons, uh, restorations and all that. He he was palming off to to us the the other dentists. So yeah, we we we. We we then did a lot of restorations and all that um, using the principles of his dentistry. He did have still amalgam in the practice. Okay, he, he wasn't amalgam free, um, and he himself when he did fillings, he was still putting um, amalgams in. Believe it or not, bonded amalgam. That was one thing he was big into bonded amalgam. I thought you know the negatives of both systems paired into one. It was, it was amazing. So. Um, even though uh, amalgam was available to me, I, I chose not to use it. Yeah. I mean, look, I asked this question because for a lot of graduates as well, when they join a practice as an associate, they end up might maybe in a practice where they want to, you know, hot topic is, you know, biomimetic, you know, um, you, know it's, you know, immediate dentine sealing, you know, all these stuff that maybe the, the, the owner or tradition is going a very traditional route and isn't familiar with some of these products that might be new and cutting edge um, per se, you know, I say that in, um, in apostrophes. And yeah. so, you know, for yourself, I mean, obviously composite, you would have to, I guess, either talk to the boss about it or did you have to go get it yourself? We, we pretty much, he gave us the freedom 
to prescribe, and it is a prescription when, when you're you know, delivering a uh, direct bonded restoration to a patient, you choose to prescribe a tooth colored rather than a metallic um, restoration. No, he had no qualms about it. He said, right, as long as you're confident, as long as you know, patients don't, don't complain, as long as you charge appropriately for it, yeah, go by all means. So, you know, from the beginning, we were uh, fresh from uni, we were still, you know, used to putting rubber dams on. Uh, one thing we did not have at that, um, uh, during those times was uh, the V3 rings that are so popular now. V3 ring, really, really, you know, re revolutionary. Um, so back then we were taught again, what we weren't taught in uni, sectional matrices. So we already had those kidney shaped sectional matrices, which yeah. brought the contact points down to the middle third rather than staying up in a gingival uh, third where using a tougher mire. So we had to change our thinking. So he had to, he had to you know, um, get those things in, but you know, he, he, he was pretty fair about it. He said, if, as long as you're confident with it, he'll, he'll order the stuff in. Interesting. Would you say you're the only associate that was doing these kind of things or all the other associates were kind of doing the same they, thing? Everyone, I want to say everyone was kind of doing their own thing. Um, but where we were, um, it was a brand new practice. So we, we built it up, actually. So basically gave us free reign and whatever we wanted. We still had amalgam for the odd you know, really deep subgingival class five in an 85 year old that you just can't isolate. You, you know, you don't want to put GIC that will wash out in there. So yeah, sure. We'll still put amalgam occasionally. Uh, but other than that, we were using bonded restorations um, from, from pretty much day one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I want to touch, I'm going to continue talking about, you know, your dental journey at some point, but, uh, and CPD courses at some point, point but i want to talk about there's a certain point where you reach where you start to contemplate practice ownership being a specialist or being a super dental gp or even starting a family so can you share your thoughts on that yeah sure um so i, I graduated within within one year of graduating uh we were into our own practice um i i, I don't know why or, or how we did it. I think at that time, it just felt right. Um, we we're always um, a bit of a, you know, um, we we don't like being told what to do. Even our boss was great. He, you know, he, he gave us really free license to do everything. But basically we found a good, we found a great site via a, a high school colleague who was in real estate. Um, so that's, that's when we, we, we went in there. Uh, would I, do it again um, if things were repeated. I'll probably wait a few years, actually. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're so young and within two years of, of uh, graduating into your practice, you're not just worrying about dentistry anymore. You're worrying about wages. You're worrying about the business side of, of dentistry. You're worrying about, you know, staffing. You're worrying about superannuation. There's a lot of things that you don't get taught in university. And really, I think... Um, first five years at least you know you, you need to be able to concentrate on your dentistry before you have to start worrying about some of the other aspects of, of business business ownership mm -hmm. um, uh, specialization i i did toy with the idea and believe it or not um i'm a big kid as, as some of some of your your um those listening to the podcast might might might, might have guessed I was contemplating um, pediatric dentistry. I no way. Yeah, yeah. But then you can't do too many crowns on, on a kid. 
you can't do veneers on a kid. So I thought, oh, no, well, no that, that's not fun. So, um, and then I started seeing a lot of children and I realized, actually, it's not fun seeing children. So decided to stay on a path of, of GP, of, of business ownership and, and being a practice owner. Uh, and yeah, just just um, right now, sort of jack of all trades, doing, doing everything uh, within the industry. Yeah. So um, at that point, right. So you, so would you say that because of the part that you took of practice ownership, it kind of had to hold you back a little bit from maybe spending a bit more on the courses and that's. um... Um, We still did. Uh, This was before the days of uh, compulsory or mandatory minimum hours per three years. Right. Um, For some reason, I think we were always, we were always attracted and, um, gravitated towards our CPD because um, really fell in love with it um, where you're learning from a colleague, you're learning from a peer rather than a, 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 some sort of college professor. And I always thought that uh, CPD postgrad was a great way to literally learn the latest techniques and the latest materials and, and, and the latest everything. Whereas in university, um, and this is no slight on the faculty, but everything you learn is kind of outdated, right? By the time you graduate, um, everything's already outdated by five years. So really, right in the beginning, I, I love CPD um, as, as much as I could. I, I did those that interest me um, and really, really, you know, got my quota done really, really early on. And, and things that interested me was fixed pros. Things that interested me was um, cosmetics. Um, those that interested me was uh, orthodontics. Um, so things like that. What didn't interest me was... Um, and, uh, endodontics right um hated molar root canals oh, it's a bane of my existence but now i actually consider um pretty much enjoying it again so i wish i kind of did focus a little bit more on endodontics at that time whereas i i really gave it a, a white book so I, I i refer i referred to a lot of times my my wife uh, who's also my business partner who's also a dentist so for some reason she she loved doing root canals um she says because i won't do them so she, someone has to do it so you know we, we sort of divulge in, in in that sort of um area so i i pick and choose the things i like doing she picks and chooses the things she enjoys right so i mean okay so first she's orthodontics second you you're doing the practice ownership and third year you're doing the composites so where to from there? How does the Seric story kind of dive into it all? Um, so I, I swear this is not scripted. Uh, this is, this is, a, <laughs> this is a, 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 a free-flowing conversation. Yes. Um, literally in the fourth year of our, so we went through year one, year two, year three, and literally the year four of our um, uh, of our life as a as a. Um, as a dentist, he, we are, we, me and my wife was, was um, having, then, you know, fiance, we were thinking, all right, look, we, we, we enjoy doing the stuff we do, but what, what can we perhaps incorporate into our uh, practice that will actually uh, make it a more profitable, it's got to be profitable, um, be, keep it interesting and, and, and see, keep it almost like a, like a practice builder, like a draw for the patient. And then we had a look at this thing called CEREC. What, you know, what, what, what the heck is this CEREC thing? So on our fourth year, I still remember it. We were, at that time, uh, Henry Shine Hallis, at that time Hallis, was the agency for CEREC. So I remember going in there on, on, a, on a weekday, her and I, 
we sat there on the showroom and someone demoed it to us. Um, and it was not myself, actually. It was my wife that actually turned to me and said, we've got to have this. Right. So I would accredit my whole you know, Serec journey so far to the inception. It was through my wife, through the encouragement of my wife, actually. So at that time, then, then we pulled the trigger. We pulled the trigger. And, and back then, Serec, you know, it cost an arm and a leg, especially, you know, when you convert it to today's dollars. And considering what its limitation was back then, uh, really, it was a pig of a machine to use. It really was. You had to spray powder on your preps. You had to be very, very, very precise with your preps. And that, that's why a lot of times now I, I really focus on my preps because not because, um, you know, I'm, I'm OCD about it, because I've been trained right, right from the beginning. This is like 18 years ago now where our preps had to be pristine. Otherwise, that thing would not fit. All right. So we were dealing with weaker materials, glass only materials, so non-reinforced, and everything had to be bonded, everything had to be done precisely, otherwise that thing will break on you. So that I, I really, um, I think having CEREC in, in itself, right? having CEREC in your practice in itself is my was my greatest CPD. Right, because now suddenly you have instant feedback on your preps. You have instant feedback on, oh, I've left an undercut here. That's not going to work. So I would go back there, reprep it, rescan it. Because nothing humbles you more than looking at your own work. Right? Um, if if you're not looking at your own work, what normally happens? You've done the prep, right? You have a look at it. You go, oh, that's pretty good. I'll take an impression. My, my temporary fits. Send it off to the lab. Right. You will never see your margin. You will never, you'll never even look at your prep because when you get your job back from the lab, you take a crown off. You won't even look at the model, right? And you try to insert it into the patient's mouth. So having CEREC, like I said, uh, it was the greatest CPD for me. It really honed our skills into uh, being very precise with our preps, um, having reduced enough for the for the function for for the materials as well. So um, and all this while, yeah. Um, we really pushed that machine. We really, you know, flogged it to death. Um, <laughs> and no looking back. Uh, I remember the first uh, meeting with our accountants since getting that story, because by that time, in year four, we, we were onto our second practice. And our accountant said, what's this CEI, what's, what's this machine that you bought that costs like nearly $200,000? We said, oh, it's this machine that can make this. And he said, oh, I don't care about that. I care. I said, you should buy one for your second practice because since getting this machine that you can see the expenditure, your you know gross billings rose by this amount, right? So this spurred us on. So you know, within a very short time, we bought our second um, CEREC for our second location. Um, again, no looking back. Right. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, but let's let's talk about a few things, right? So this is cutting edge technology at this point, right? And I there isn't a lot of support for it. I mean, how do you go about learning it? How do you, you know, what happens at this point? Because you're struggling. You're like, this damn thing is not working. How do you kind of learn from it? Absolutely. So I want to say right in the beginning, it was a steep, steep, steep learning curve. Back then, there was no such thing as internet. There was no such thing as Facebook. There was no such thing as calling a colleague because, first of all, not a lot of users, right? So the community was already small. Um, not a lot of like share. <laughs> it was a cult. It really was a cult. And and, and those that didn't have a Seric, you know, would poo-poo um, Seric, you know, saying it doesn't fit and all that. 
No, it's, it's nonsense. The fit of Serek is exceptional, right? It really was. The weakness in the Serek at that time was the material strength. Uh, it, it dictated that we need to have a little bit more severe reduction in order to maintain minimum thickness for it to work. Um, and, you know, aesthetics. Aesthetics is what you make of it. You know, you can put a lot of work into the aesthetics of it to make it look really nice. And back then, the, the, the material that we used was a glass ceramic, non-reinforced, right? So everything had to be bonded. But it was a beautiful material. It was very translucent. It was very enamel-like. Um, you know, we we were at by by the within a very short time we were pushing it in anteriors like using enamel bonded veneers with, with this material it was, it, was, it was quite nice um in terms of learning it god i i wish there was forums i wish there were people we can ring on at that time the only person we could rely on was the person who sold us the machine um, and luckily, he, he was a wealth of information. He was a technician by trade. So he, he taught us a lot of the handling of the material. And otherwise, it's like learning a computer program. It, it really was. And being familiar with it and understanding what each tool does, understanding what to do here, understanding your prep, as I said before. So a lot of it was self-taught, right? Trial and error, mistakes. This didn't work. This broke. Unfortunately, you had to replace it. So yeah, I want to say in the beginning, I learned by mistakes, right? Feeling myself in the, uh, feeling your way in the dark and how I wish I knew what I know now back then would have made my job a lot easier. But yeah, live and learn. This is how you grow. And as I say, it's, it's character building. <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't stop there, right? So obviously you continue on into other aspects. You know, how does the implant journey kind of come into the picture? So from the beginning, um, because I, I'm not blaming, but I'm attributing my, um, my, my penchant for the cleaner side of dentistry, meaning the orthodontics, the restorative work. I, I didn't like to see a lot of blood. I really, I, right, I, I, going back to year one, right, when I graduated, my, my then boss thought, all right, I'll throw him a, a wisdom tooth uh, surgery. So he did. He threw me in the deep end with a measly impacted, partially erupted uh, 4A. I, I still... So at some point, implant dentistry becomes a thing. How does that become part of the journey? So I was fairly late to implant dentistry in, in terms of placing my own um, implant fixtures. Uh, right from the beginning of my career, I, I, I had an aversion to, to blood, actually. So um, you probably noticed, you know, we talked about restorative dentistry. We talked about bonding. We talked about orthodontics. So 
we didn't really talk about surgery. We didn't talk about wisdom teeth extractions. I really stayed away from that right in the beginning. Um, so naturally, if you didn't do wisdom teeth, you, you're not going to do implant as well. So, um, but your your boss it gave you an all an, an implant. Uh, sorry, a wisdom tooth extraction very early on in your career. Yeah, within within, I uh, I remember from. I think within the first month of, of his employment, he said, Lawrence, you can do this wisdom teeth. Um, and two and a half hours later, no wisdom teeth was out. I thought I cut a vital structure. I thought I cut a nerve. Had to sew the patient up, dismiss the patient, refer to uh, my Max Fac, who was our professor um, teaching us um, surgery. Um, and lost sleep the entire night. I could not sleep. I, 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 in my head, I thought I'd cut the lingual nerve, right? I was nowhere near it, obviously. Um, but since that experience, I've never ever touched another wisdom tooth. A simple upper eight, yes, I'll do, but lower ones with uh, involving surgery and flap elevation and all that, no. I, I really, um, by that time, we, we had an oral surgeon that we referred to. And then I think one day he said, oh, Lawrence, I, I started doing implants as well. So, you know, when the patients needed implants, we will refer to him as well. What really set me then on the implant side of my career was here I was referring all these implants out. And, and we're fine. We, was, we still got to restore them. And the patient was still getting the best of care. Um but I remember there was a anterior case where the patient came back and was wearing a partial denture as a temporary and she was now ready for her restoration. Because of the finicky placement of that implant, um, in the end, uh, it took us three or four goes to get the exact aesthetics of that implant finally. So after all this time, you know, I thought, wow, after all this time, the the oral surgeon still gave us uh, implant placement that was suboptimal. Realistically, there should be a better way that we can visualize the final position of the restoration and plan our implant around that. By that time, I was a 10-year CEREC user, right? And at that time, CEREC kept evolving, kept evolving. So um, it evolved to a state where now we could combine the data that we capture with our CEREC, right? And we can merge that with the DICOM data of a CBCT, right? We can merge the two. We can also um, come up with a some sort of digital waxer, right? And then we can now, on top of that, plan our implant in the CBCT software. And once we're happy with that position, the ideal position of that implant, we can now also order a surgical guide to allow us to plan and place that implant in the exact optimum restorative position. Unheard of before that, really unheard yeah. of. Um, and, and no looking back, right? After, after knowing that and after attending again, back to CPD, a uh, couple of courses, I think we, we had a day, at that time, Serona, they, they, they got a, a guy from the US to show this amazing new technology where you can now marry up your CBCT with your CAD-CAM data and use a uh, surgical guide and place your implants, right? Perfect for a surgery surgical novice like myself who wasn't used to raising flaps and all that because now we can, a lot of times, raise a minimum flap or sometimes flapless using a tissue punch 
um, to place our implants that way and all very securely and safely and a lot less painful for the patient. So that's where um, my implant uh, experience really, really took off. And so from then on in, every single one of my implants was uh, planned, surgically planned and placed using a surgical guide. Wow. So been doing that now for last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to touch on the point you're talking about how you're afraid of all this blood, right. And, and, yeah. you know, you don't want to get all the glory, but you know, let's talk about one thing. Your, your practice is called Sydney laser dental care. So clearly there's some laser involved. How does that kind of come in then? Sure. Um, so you, you could almost define, um, if, if you like, my my journey in dentistry by technology, right? So first came um, CEREC, right? Then came CBCT. And now the third element was a laser, a dental laser, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, your, your, your dicky little dial laser that, you know, you might do a little bit of a gingivectomy. I'm talking about the big full fat or tissue laser where you can cut bone, where you can cut teeth, right? So by that time, it was within, thinking back now, 2007, where we first encountered. So same story, right? We first got into CEREC because we looked at each other. We started getting a bit stagnated with what we know and what we're delivering. We got bored, essentially. So by that time, 2007, we, we looked at each other. Okay, we've got CEREC now. We've got CBCT. We can now provide pretty much everything dig- digitally. Um, what's really missing now? Oh, let's look at the laser. So we went along to a symposium that was conducted in Sydney. Um, by the second lecture, right, we signed up for two um, all tissue lasers, right, the, the, the big fat balls. Um, and that in itself was a, a way to introduce an, a, a, a whole new aspects into into our um, clinical dentistry, right? Um, to incorporate a, a laser means that we can a lot of times um, do no, no needle, no drilling dentistry in terms of uh, restorations. Uh, what I use a lot of it for is a lot of my cosmetic makeovers where oftentimes people come in and, and uh, they, they want a, a full smile makeover, but the gingival zenith isn't symmetrical, right? There, there is some... Uh, areas that needed some further alignment and all that. And traditionally, um, what we do, gingivectomy, you know, you need to let the site heal. But nowadays with our all tissue laser, most of the time we're doing it simultaneously as our prep. And because of our CEREC, we are now also simultaneously delivering the final restoration all in the same appointment. So basically the patient comes in, have the soft tissue managed, as well as the heart, the heart tissue, final restoration, all done in one go, all under the same needle. Um, other aspects where we use our laser includes uh, endodontics. It's invaluable in endodontics. You know? If you're doing any sort of endodontics, and I, I mean, most people use some sort of endoactivator for their irrigants, right? Yeah. Endoactivator is great. The, 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 the theory of it works great using ultrasonics. But as soon as you that ultrasonic tip encounters a curvature in your in your canals anything apical to that curvature where that tip right stops activating that irrigant isn't activated right it's science you, you can't argue against that whereas using a laser we're going there we are causing a pulsation in that irrigant and actually really washing it right down to the apex so 
Um, right in the beginning of the interview, I talked about how I hated endo um, or molar endos. Now yeah. I kind of like it because I'm using my laser on top of it. And I know I'm activating on my irrigant. I know, uh, and I'll show, I'll show people x-rays to, to, to prove we are sometimes, or not sometimes, a lot of times, we're managing to fill lateral canals, right? Because such, such powerful is, is this laser at actually activating the, the, the irrigants to clean up lateral canals, which, you know, these areas cannot be instrumented, right? Um, and what else we use for, 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 for perio? Right? So deep pockets, so we're, we're fighting germs, we're fighting um, long junctional epitheliums that, that you know, needs to be scraped out, laser, makes that makes such short work of that it's unbelievable yeah well i mean on that point right so diet i mean you're using the you know, the bio lace laser like how are you learning to use it for all these different things and be confident in it as well because like you said a lot of people are probably not familiar with using a laser at this time sure. nor using it for all these different things sure um so th this is starting to sound like an infomercial for for lasers <laughs> uh, and i apologize but you know I, I i genuinely believe in this technology i genuinely use it myself okay um i don't care if you use it or you don't use it i'm just sharing my experience with it um lasers i want to say is at a position where ceric was about 15 years ago right it wasn't mainstream laser dentistry is still very fringe and um, some people have heard of it. People generally don't really understand or make the distinction between a dye laser and an or tissue laser, and they don't really know what it's used for. Um, it's getting it's, it's getting more and more widely accepted. Several you know universities um, ac across the globe are incorporating laser dentistry in their endo program and their pero program. Right. So so you know the science is there. You you, you know it's, it's, all, it's all backed up by by years and years and years of study. But when I first started, it was definitely considered fringe. So where we learned it was we went, uh, we were sent to a, um, a training program in New Zealand, in a little town in New Zealand called Wanganui, right? We flew to Auckland and then got onto a, a propeller plane where the guy that greets you, right, going into the plane is also the same guy that drives the plane. So you imagine, right? You're flying in this in this in this uh, propeller prop plane into this little town, and yeah. there's about twelve of us. We go in there, and we we learnt about how to incorporate our laser into general practice, including restore, restoration, including uh, endo, including perio. It was it was it was great. It was great. It was definitely a great adjunct for us in our CEREC work because it made soft tissue management so much easier. Yeah. Um, our, our smile makeovers, you know, made, made short work of, of sort of any soft tissue um, inadequacies and so forth. So yeah, that's that's how we that's how we got into it. And then as your interest builds, then you can actually, and, and we've been all around the world now to to you know expand about uh, expand upon my my uh, laser knowledge. So we've been to Seoul. So in, in South Korea, um, laser dentistry is is a very big um, area in, in general dentistry. Um, We've also been to where else have we been to America to to learn more about it. Um, again, it's, it's the same thing, you know. It, it's back in two thousand seven. You know, in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of information available on the internet, but now there is. You, know, you can attend online programs. You can um, attend you know, sort of live face to face. Um, 
before we we had to be reliant on the companies and the reps to show us or, or point us in the direction of where to get the training from now it's readily available mm-hmm. so i mean look there's a common theme kind of going on here but i want to ask what advice would you give to someone who's just starting their um dental education um yeah um yeah find your passion right find some don't don't do every single CPD under the sun. Find something because you, you, there's a lot. There's a lot out there. There really is nowadays compared to when I first started. Right, you can't. You know, you you can't walk over without tripping over another person providing CPD. Don't believe everything um, that you see on social media. Right, because a lot of social media, like Instagram, I'm you know, I'm, I'm an Instagram user as well. I post cases. Yes. Um, but you see a lot of cases that are you know, staged. You see a lot of cases that are a lot of work has gone behind it to try to you know, sell courses or, or sell a product and, and so forth, right? Um, don't, you know, you, you, you could spend every single day of your working life attending CPD if you wanted to. There, there really is so many out there. So pick and choose, right? Ask your colleagues. Word of mouth is the best thing. Not, you know, feedback from social media and all that. A, a lot of it's co-hosts. A lot of it's sort of uh, not false, um, but the best kind of CPD is, is what you hear from your colleagues, I think. And certainly a lot of the ones I, I've attended to was. Um, so I can't name specific ones to attend to but definitely if i was a new grad i want to learn more about um adhesive dentistry right Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of confusion between i think we mentioned before you know biomedic dentistry ids and all these fancy terms these aren't nothing these aren't things that are suddenly cropped up or made up these are new terms on old technology and biomedic means you know we're trying to make something looks like a tooth well what have we been doing for the last 70 years? We've been trying to use whatever is available to us to make it function and in, in, in cases where applicable, look like a tooth. Um, IBS, I mean, we, we, we've been, you know, um, doing that in one way or another since um, since forever. Um, so, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, choose something that uh, really, you know, uh, feels your passion and don't believe everything you see on Instagram it, it, a lot of it's false a, a lot of it is um, staged a lot of it is designed to sell things sell courses and and, and, and so forth you know, not be negative right not mm-hmm. be negative I like I said I I, I I do like Instagram I like posting on Instagram um, and I, I think you know, hopefully you know it, it helps people that that reads it sometimes um, a lot of the false information out there, though. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's what the graduates are always want to see. I mean, on this note, though, right, mm-hmm. is there a particular CPD that you, you know, didn't feel that you could implement or was not as beneficial for you at the time? I mean, I mean you mentioned orthodontics where you had to do it again because you could only absorb so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would the, was Is that, you know, would there be another one or...? Um. Looking back on my experience, I like to say that we were pretty we were pretty good with our choices um, because CPD, as fun as they are, um, a there's a cost to them, right? B there's also a cost away from work for them, right? So uh, people don't realize, yeah, you might be paying you know, this amount for this CPD, 
But the real cost is you being away from your practice and you're taking your 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 earnings away for for or your productivity away for those two or three days, whatever it may be. Um, so you know, use it sparingly. You, know? you choose the ones that really are, will you think will be of benefit to you. Um, oh, I can't. I that's okay. On the note of you know being an owner and you know having to factor a lot of these things. I mean, as an associate as well, you probably have to factor it, but it probably weighs a lot more on you when you're an owner. Um, what are some of the um, biggest challenges that you faced when you were opening up your practice, and how did you go about overcoming them? Um, because that was uh, twenty years ago, um, the biggest the the biggest fear was you know am I doing things right, am I doing you know according to industry standards, um, in terms of you know um, some of the some of the some of the um, what do you call it the, the the standard measurements that you know you, you how much you're spending on staff how much you're spending on uh, marketing and, and so forth things like that back then you know and still to this day we we spent next to nothing on marketing we really haven't um and that's something that we ourselves as as business owners that should need to um, look in it just wasn't in that realm when we were starting our business no one advertised you know you might have a little entry in yellow pages but now everyone advertises everywhere um you open up your social media, you you'll see advertisement for 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 dentists. So um, the yeah, finding staff right, it's always been a challenge. You know, it, people are complaining that finding staff is difficult in this day and age. It's always been difficult. It always has been difficult because the, the dentistry part is not difficult. Um, you know that this is that's a skill, and you can certainly attend courses to to up your skill. Um, is the human factor is what you can't can't account for when you've got a busy busy day and and you've got one staff member that that calls in sick and then you're stuck for the rest of the day because uh, everyone else has to pick up the slack um you know managing people you know we as dentists i like to say um most of us aren't really good people uh, managers you know we we were taught margins we were taught you know we were taught um to to um, match the shade. We were taught, you know, little very technical things, but yeah. a lot of the things that we haven't been taught is, is managing people, talking to people, right? Um, reading people as well. So um, I wish there was some sort of CPD we could do to actually um, improve uh, everybody's, um, what do you call it? Let's call it EQ, right? Um, so yeah, th th those are the things that, you know, challenged me in the beginning and still challenges me uh, right now, you know? hiring hiring star um you know managing your expenses and imagine a, a, a lot of things yeah i mean so i mean what on that note what qualities do you look for when you're looking for a new employee yeah um attitude it, uh, it, it's not experience it's attitude um it really is someone that will you know commit um 110 to to the role whether it's a clinical role or, or sort of an admin role um, and you know, I'm blessed, I think, um, that I've got a great core of, 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 of team members um, that have been with us for years and they're loyal and, and, and great. But, you know, it's still challenging, right? You know, people get sick, people get pregnant, people um, have bad days and things like that. So you've got to be careful with that. Right? Um, and that is something that we really, I think, haven't been trained well, um, both undergrad and, and sort of postgrad. Um, yeah, setting 
So, um, yeah, that, that, those are the things that yeah, still, I think, challenges us as, as uh, business owners. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you, you've, I, I mean, the way I look at it is that sometimes when you're opening up a practice, it's kind of like having a baby. Um, mm. But there's the other human aspect of, you know, you've got a family, you've got a wife, you know, you're thinking about maybe other aspects of your life like a family, how do you kind of throw that all into it? Uh, so the way I did it was um, I married my business partner, who was also my wife, who was also a dentist. <laughs> um, I don't recommend that for everybody. <laughs> um, but it's so far it's worked out for me. Um, <laughs> I know we you asked a lot of uh, things that, you know, how do you manage your business? Something like that. I'm lucky in the sense that she does all of that for me and so i just really just concentrate on my on my on my clinical dentistry and, and you know sort of growing the business so i think um you've got to partner with somebody you know it doesn't have to be your spouse it, it could be a business partner it could be your best mate going through uni uh going through dental school i see a lot of successful partnerships like that yeah um so yeah that that's you, you need to work with the right people you need to work with the right core team so um attitude attitude over everything else mm-hmm. yeah i mean to be more specific you're saying like the attitude to learn to be you know a go-getter or are you talking like um I don't know. in terms of in terms of working with with, with us well you know they, they've got to be um patient centric they've got to be um you know everything that they do or consider that comes out of their mouth has to be focused on your business and in protecting uh, you know your 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 branding your 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 patience you know make sure make sure um everything is done um no use coming to work grumpy you know because everybody feels it um like it or not we are in the service industry you know we're healthcare professionals yeah sure but you know if you if you're grumpy that day your patient's gonna feel it right if your nurse is grumpy the patient's gonna feel it so Everybody, a motto at ours, at ours is everybody puts on a happy face. You know, it doesn't matter if you had a shit day, you come in, you, you know, you, you, you've had a fight with your partner, all that stops at the door. You come in, everybody's ready to put on a smiling face and get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like what I was trying to ask earlier was like about the family aspect, like how do you can start to, you know, figure out some of those other things? Because a lot of our people are thinking about, work-life balance like how do you you know go about being a great owner how do you be a great clinician you know um a a a husband or or mother for that factor you know all these things um people who are graduating trying to figure out yeah yeah so i went off at the tangent just then so um i think that's the that's that's the delicate balance that you had to try to achieve how to be um a great clinician right how to be productive enough that you can look after yourself and your loved ones um and 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 you know when it comes uh you know are you considering perhaps in, a, in, in being a, in a lifelong relationship and with that comes responsibilities you're going to consider little ones so um we went through the progression of being graduated as a dentist sort of upskilling, getting to practice ownership, then getting married, and then the children came. Um, I think a lot of a lot of my colleagues are pretty much in the same boat. I think not a lot of people got married first, had kids, and then became a practice manager. 
uh, so a, 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 a practice owner, um, although you know people have done it, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, work at the prior, work at the priorities because um, once you start having children, it is damn difficult to concentrate on further studies or specialization or practice ownership. It really is, right? Practice ownership and you know, dentistry on as, as a whole, I find still to this day was is easy. It's the easy part. Raising kids is the most is the most difficult part, I, I think. Um, so, and I think those who are listening that do have children will agree. So, um, progression is yeah, you know what before kids get all the hard stuff done because when you start having children, it gets even harder. Yeah. So, I mean, have there been any? I mean, now that we're talking about struggles and hardship, have there been any particular struggles or hardships along your journey so far that some of our viewers? might not have known about um i mean you know you you always you always face with challenges right um you know, professionally um you know relationship with kids and all that but um i think generally speaking um i've i've you know touch wood i've, I've enjoyed a, a, a fairly happy journey in, in in my career um i'm i'm still to this day I love what i do um, a lot of it's attributed to, um, you know, the, the CPT that I've attended. A lot of it's attributed to the technology I've incorporated into, into our work. Um, so challenging, you know, when, when you've got a newborn and you're still committed to work and you've slept like two and, a, two and a half hours a night before, it gets pretty tough to do a molar extirpation on an upper seven, right? Loops or no loops. Um, you, yeah, you, it, it, that part was definitely good. I th thankfully, right, mine are a little <laughs> bit more grown now, so we don't have to deal with that. Um, I, I remember once, I remember once I was due to give a presentation in Melbourne and for some bizarre reason, I decided we, we, we brought the whole family along and then literally the <laughs> night before our then baby decided to throw up all over me just as I was walking out through the door to, to get to the conference in time. So you know, those, those things are challenging. You're looking back at it, you, know, you think it's funny, but I mean, during those times, right, you, you, you really wonder, should you be doing a, a lot of this? So find a balance, all right? When you've got kids, you don't have a lot of time, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, given the opportunity, yeah, we should all consider having, having little ones because it really does, I think, complete your... Your life, your, your your career, you know, you, you always feel for find fulfillment, you know, whether whether you decide to um, expand your horizons via CPD and so forth. But life itself, and you know, I'm getting so philosophical here. I know. Um, I think I really enjoy you know, uh, my family. I really enjoy looking, see my kids grow up, and more and more so now. I'm I'm you know enjoying that more um, and trying to trying to take a step back from actual clinical work always find myself drawn back in there though so <laughs> yeah that's that's the ambitious side of you and then i mean obviously to your point like uh, when i talk to a lot of my patients as well the hardest part is at this point this is the only time that then they're, they're still up the kids are still at the nest before they decide to fly off and do their own thing right yeah so and then you're going to worry more about that as well, because then they will be um, hitting you up for financial support um, beyond that. So, yeah, it, it's 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 a never ending cycle. 
<laughs> then you're back at the work, working hard for it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So another hot topic is yeah. mentoring. You know, some people, some graduates, you know, they interpret that as like being a fly on the wall, holding their hands. Sometimes it's just like a little pep talk. You know, what are your thoughts on recent graduates looking for mentoring? So what graduates are looking for in terms of, of a mentor? Someone who's willing to share. Um, um, someone who's willing to help them from someone that they as a graduate, as a recent grad, should not be afraid to ask advice on, right? Even from the simplest thing, even from something as, as trivial as, oh, is there an overhang here, you know? And without fear of, of being embarrassed, without fear of being ridiculed, right? Or, or reprimanded, right? We all make mistakes. And, and as a new grad, um, I think a lot of people Feel, in, feel uncomfortable, I mean, talking about a lot of things. So I think the, the, the properties of a great mentor would be, um, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And, and having no reservations about asking anything about this person um, to, to your mentor. Um, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, it, it doesn't have to be someone, I think, that's the top of the game, top of the field, because in the end, we're all providing um, service for our patients. Um, and someone who's humble, someone who's not like, I'm, I'm, I'm above all that, right? Someone who they can really genuinely feel comfortable talking to. I think that's someone who, you know, it, it may not be in your, in your practice. It might be someone that, that uh, you've met online. It might be someone that you met at a course, um, you know, approach someone. I think one of the, one of the things I love about dentistry, and, and this is a, a, a behavior that I've sort of, um, uh, picked up along the way was one of my professors always said he loves dentistry because dentists are always willing to share right I get colleagues all the time that comes in you know what they want to watch a procedure for example um, always welcome to um, every dentist likes to talk about their work right have you noticed right so we all love talking about oh this is the way I do things this is why I do things right um, but it shouldn't be, this is the only way to do things. So there are many, many ways to do, to do things. I think that that's someone who's open to new concepts as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to the point. Who's been pivotal in your career path and, and why? Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of people I think I've come across, you know, in, in undergrads, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of my demo demonstrators I really looked up to. Um, and, you know, they weren't like, you know, out there, you know, conducting courses. They weren't out there, um, you know, sort of headlining conferences. These are just normal suburban dentists. And this is the way I do things. This is the way I, I found it hasn't stuffed up. And, and those are the sort of unsung heroes that I, I honestly, um, I, I take my hat off to. Um, so those are the people. I mean, more famously, you know, like in orthodontics, I want to say my, my biggest um, influences have been uh, the first person I learned orthodontics from was an American guy called Skip Schroeder. Mm -hmm. He's still around, actually. Um, yeah. Um, who, who really, you know, got us into orthopedics and, 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 and fixed appliances and things like that. Um, and Derek Mahoney um, done, done his program you know, great inspiration, um, great colleague, and you always have your back. Um, in terms of um, pros, you know, my, my old pros professor, I remember, um, you know, always said to me, 
Yeah. Don't bring your model up to, don't bring your impression up to me and then ask me what material I, I, I should prescribe for this patient, right? That, that thing, for some reason, always stuck in my mind. Um, yeah, that, those are the people, you know, putting me on the spot here. Those are the <laughs> people that kind of like That's okay. inspire me, but there has been countless. There really has been countless. You know, a lot of people I've met on social media, a, a lot of people I've, some of the Seric doctors that I've, that I've um, sort of learned from in, in the States and all that, you know, they've been inspirational. Uh, one, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he, he was really, I think, a, a, quite a, quite a uh, inspiration for me for tackling big cases, like, like, you know, 10 unit veneer cases, same day using Seric. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of these unsung heroes as well. Um, mm. I mean, how are you communicating with him back then? Like, I assume internet's available at this point, and so you could probably potentially, I don't know, um, send photos or whatnot, so then he can kind of give you feedback. Is that how you're kind of communicating with him at the time? I mean, at that time, you know, you would uh, back when I first started. Once again, a phone um, call, <laughs> phone call, fax. Right for for some of the younger viewers. Fax was something that we used to use before internet. Um, it was a lot of it, unfortunately, in the beginning was face-to-face, -face, right? You actually physically had to be at a conference and then pull the guy aside and then, you know, perhaps take a, you know, we weren't doing a lot of clinical photos back then. So we will have a model, for example, right? Um, or, or, or have a crew drawing that um, you scribbled on a napkin somewhere. So, yeah, it was definitely a lot less sophisticated now. Nowadays, you could DM somebody, you know, with a, with an X-ray, with a with a photo, or just a short description, and you know, th there you have an instant instant feedback, right? So yeah, it's, it's, avenues for for communication definitely a positive in our community now. Mm -hmm. um, and how I wish I had that you know, all those years ago. A lot of our listeners are young and hungry dentists. They always want to achieve like large goals. But mm -hmm. I want to know what, you know, success looks like for you in the future. Success to me is, um, isn't, you know, like uh, I've done uh, how many arches this week uh, or I've grossed this amount, right? Uh, success to me is going to work uh, knowing that and every day, day in, day out, right? Um, knowing that you are doing the best that you can for your patient and your patient appreciate it uh, for it. You know, you, you, you want patients that genuinely feel comfortable in your care, fully feel comfortable uh, trusting you. Um, I've, I've been in the same place for, for a number of years now, for up to 20 years. And I'm seeing some of the, kids that I saw right in the beginning of my career who are now bringing their own children in to see me. So for me, that, that, that is, that is really heartwarming. That that's really you know, seeing um, the provision of care. Um, not, you know, the fact that, you know, I, I did four, four veneer cases this week, or I did, you know, this all in four cases, you know, this week, those, those are life changing, certainly. Um, but I don't let that define what, what I consider as been successful. Uh, you, you need to feel um, good about yourself within um, so that when every day you go to work, you know, you're, you're proud to, to, to serve the community. Yeah. So what does, what does, you know, your week kind of look like um, in terms of the things you might be getting up to or. Sure. Um, my, my week, I, 
I like to keep it interesting. I like to keep it interesting. Um, and again, I, I I often get visits by by colleagues who who want to see the workflow, who want to see some of the you know sort of more out there things that I do. <laughs> Sometimes they come in, they're disappointed because they're they're seeing me doing. I'm I'm doing two hygiene checks. I'm doing um, you know maybe a quadrant of uh, restorative dentistry. They all expect to come in and and see a smile design 10 unit case all done in, in six hours and patient walks out with a brand new set of teeth. Yes, we do a lot of that. We really do. And I enjoy doing that. Um, but we don't do that every day, right? We're not, we're not, we're not doing like a full, full mouth clearance and six implants and with a, in, uh, with an immediate provisional every single day either. Um, so my uh, week varies a lot. Uh, it really varies a lot. Like today, this afternoon, I I did a, a full afternoon of Cerex on, on the same patient, replacing some old crowns. Um, in the morning, I had to re-cement a, a crown. I had to, yeah, just fairly normal normal days, I want to say. Except the only exception is some of the toys I get to play with. It's, it's a little bit, little bit more interesting. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, how do, when does when does you know kung fu practice or hitting the weights kind of come in? Because I know I know you're fit. Um. So yeah, <laughs> I think I think we all need distractions. Uh, I think we all need something that grounds us. Um. We try to I I try to stay physical. I try to stay active. Um. Growing up, uh, so going going through dental school, one of the professors said, "You know, keep your keep your back strong, Lawrence, because." we are in a position where we are often hunched over, right? Even though as ergonomically as we, we try to sit the patient, we are n- number one clients for chiropractors and, and physios. So yeah, you, you do try to, you do try to keep your body strong, keep your body straight. And that is another great tip I will give to um, a lot of the younger dentists out there, right? Um, invest in yourself, right? Mentally as well as physically, right? Go go to the gym, right? work on your core, um, go to the physio, get in good habits, right? get into the great sitting position. And I'm, I'm for one, often actually slacking off with that. So I'm trying to correct myself. Uh, magnification helps, obviously, loops helps. Um, so yeah, just you know, look after your back because how many colleagues I know have now a standing appointment weekly with their local physio or chiro, right? And, and some from fairly fairly early in the in the career. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on that note, look, there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but I know um, I, w- I want to wrap it up with, you know, do you have any other wise words of wisdom for the budding young dentist? Um, you know, if he skills, maybe your attributes that they should consider focusing on, or um, gosh, that's um. It's a fairly fairly broad um, fairly broad topic there. Um, I I will say this quite specifically, right? Take photos, take clinical photos, right? I I noticed with myself, um, my standard for myself, right, increase exponentially, right? When you start taking clinical photos, could be simple, could be start, you know, you could be starting from a, a simple intraoral camera, right? Um, and hopefully graduating into a full SLR setup or one of these new uh, mirrorless um, SLR cameras with good quality photographic mirrors, because you will see every day when you sit down and you go through your cases, 
Nothing teaches you more than your own work, whether it made them be successful or failures, right? If it's something that didn't go according to plan, then you know the steps that led up to it and you know not to repeat it. If something that you like that that, that um, turned out great for the patient, you know these are the steps that you undertook and you need to repeat these and, and perhaps tweak it to make the, the next outcome even better. So for photography, number one, number one tool, I think, the best your CBD that you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. are your nurses being like oh dr lawrence is doing it again <laughs> we're all gonna bring time, out the camera <laughs> all the time all the time it, it's i had one old guy said to me um i don't come here for you to fix my teeth i come here for you to take the photos of my teeth <laughs> which is kind of true right anything for the gram man um <laughs> so i i say you know i i take your photos right and the warranty immediately voids after i post it right as, as soon as I post it, all bits are off. No, <laughs> really take take photos, even mundane things, even, you know, you, you and, and, and categorize it. Don't be lazy. At the end of the day, go open them up, crop them, right? Edit it, you know, put it the right way up, you know, whether it's inverted or mirrored or whatever, because you never know. One day, you, know, you, you might collect a portfolio that might be extensive enough that you might feel yourself to be somewhat of a, not expert, but you know, some, someone who's quite experienced in this kind of procedure that you might want to share with your colleagues as well. Right? That's how I, I feel I, I started. So take photos, right? Mistakes, right? Yeah, look, learn from them, right? Um, and um, enjoy the journey, right? Get the lightest SLR camera that you can because these things are heavy, right? You can, you can you know, hurt your wrist. The best sort of camera is that um, little Olympus one. And you can get all the intraoral gear for it. It's great. It's, it's, you can operate with one hand. Um, if you're, you know, if you're not really into that, you can even get these attachments for your smartphones, actually, and, and try to get a good intraoral shot that way. Yeah. So, Dr. Lawrence, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. If you can let the people know how they can find you. How to find me? Um, yeah, look, um, you can you can hit me up on on, on my socials um, on my Instagram. Uh, my handle is uh, that nerdy dentist, right? Uh, or just look up Lawrence Lau. Yeah. Um, on Facebook is Lawrence Lau. Um, DM me if you want. You know, ever ever want to talk, ever want to ask any questions. Um, it's been a pleasure being on the two Lawrence shows. I think um, <laughs> Lawrence Squared. Those those at home will think you know. This podcast is only big enough for one Lawrence, right? And the, I should step back. I should step back. The correct one is spelt with a W. <laughs> um, but no, thank you for the invitation. I know this has been a long time coming. I, I know I've been a bit slack in, in, in answering this, but um, I, I love sharing my story. I like to talk a little bit too much. I like to go off a tangent. I think some of the answers, some of the questions that you asked me, are, I forgot what you asked me midway through my rant. So apologies for that. That's okay. That's okay. That's I mean, look, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll definitely leave the we'll leave the show notes on um, down below for for the, everyone who um, is following on. Um, for our viewers, if you like this episode, drop a comment below in your favorite part. But don't forget to like and subscribe. And we'll see you on the next episode of CP Junkie Dental Podcast. Thank you.